0: Good morning, everyone. I'm Chad Barr, the president of CB Software System and the Chad Barr Group. This is Raising the Bar interview series where I get to have stimulating conversations with some of my favorite thought leaders. Andrew Miller is a consultant, writer, and speaker who has helped world-class organizations increase profitability and performance. He's a thought leader in operational excellence, and he brings together strategies around innovation and collaboration, customer onboarding and retention, alignment of strategy and execution, hiring and retaining top people, and managing the correlation between speed and profitability. His list of clients that he has worked with is absolutely impressive. Anywhere from the Bank of Nova Scotia, McKesson, Canada, 3M, Canada, Mount Sinai Hospital, Women's College Hospital, the Hospital of Six Children, and many other world-class institutions. Andrew has published more than 100 articles, physician papers, three books, and he's a prolific writer on his blog and other resources. He lives in Toronto with his wife and three children. Bonjour, Andrew. <laughs> Bonjour, Chad. Come on, va? <laughs> <laughs> Great to see you here. So let's start with uh, several questions I have for you, and I'll start with the first one that comes to mind, and that is this. You help organizations improve their operational excellence. So first of all, could you articulate what is operational excellence, what are the components of operational excellence, and why is it important for organizations to consider it in order to thrive in today's economy?
1: Well, those are very good questions, Chad, and and first of all, thanks for having me here today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to our discussion Operational excellence is the pursuit of excellence. It's the pursuit of doing things better. It's the pursuit of improving the way that your organization performs. Obviously, for a for-profit organization, it's improving your profitability uh, and the performance of an organization. And the way that I define operational excellence is as a few different components, which sort of the standard operational excellence definition doesn't have. Because in my view, operational excellence really has to entail the holistic organization. So as you said in the preview, it's really got to contain things like innovation and how do you drive innovation? And it's got to contain how do you attract and retain your top people? How do you ensure strategic and tactical alignment? You know, how do you enhance customer engagement and retention? And then also, how do you optimize speed? Uh, So it's really important that operational excellence for organizations contains all of those components. It isn't just about one or two of those components working on their own. It's about how does an organization maximize its profitability, optimize its speed, and really focus on all those different elements to make sure that they can maximize their performance and maximize their
0: results. One of the key focuses uh, or additional key focuses of your business is all about helping companies with strategy and the executive not only formulate the strategy, but also, of course, execute it to bring it to fruition. My question to you is this. I've seen too many organizations all excited about putting together the right strategy, and then it becomes a beautiful picture on the wall. Here's the strategy, but no one executes it. What are the best ways, first of all, to formulate a good strategy? And then how do you move the organization towards execution of this strategy so it does not end up as just a beautiful picture on the wall?
1: That's a great question. Thanks, Chad. And I have a very similar uh, observation to you in my experiences. I find a lot of organizations are able to develop the strategy quite well, uh, but it's the execution piece that, that really makes the biggest difference. And that's why I've been known to use the phrase without execution, there is no strategy. A lot of times what I talk to my clients about is, obviously you wanna make sure that you get the strategy right, but let's make the strategy simple. And there's two reasons why I wanna make the strategy simple. The first is, with a simple strategy, it becomes very easy to communicate. So you don't get bogged down when you move to the execution and implementation stage. A simple strategy makes it easy to communicate. And when I say simple strategy, I don't mean that the strategy has to be simple itself. But the way that you communicate it, that you simplify it so that people can see themselves in the strategy. Because ultimately, the challenge that most organizations have is they develop these strategies and they take so long to do it that often, first of all, by the time they, they start to implement the strategy, it's no longer valid. It's, you know, four, six, seven months down the road and the industry has changed or something's changed around where they actually not to, almost have to revisit the strategy. So the first thing I would advise clients to do and companies to do on the strategy development side is don't take too long to actually develop the strategy. It doesn't have to be perfect. Strategy is just what you want to achieve. So think about it from the perspective of what do you want to achieve? Do you want to grow? You know, do you have a certain market that you want to grow in? Do you want to reduce your cost base? Do you want to hire better people? Think about what the overall strategy of the organization is and try and put it in pretty simple terms. If you're able to do that and you've got a very clear vision of what that strategy is, then the execution becomes a lot easier. Now, what are the key factors in making execution work? Well, obviously, one of them is people need to support the strategy at all levels of the organization. So as you've probably seen, Chad, and I've seen many times, top-down change doesn't work. So where the executives are trying to, to push down a strategy that they believe in to the rest of the organization if there isn't buy-in for the rest of the organization, the strategy is not going to work. So one of the things that organizations need to do to make sure that they align their strategy with the, the tactic, which, which is how they're going to achieve that strategy, is they really need to get buy-in from multiple levels. Uh, and there's a few ways to do that, not the least of which is you can involve people in the development of the strategy so they feel an ownership of it. But I also think that it's really, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, shopping that strategy around to different stakeholder groups and identifying the best ways to execute the strategy. So having that clear vision says, here's the strategy that we want to achieve. Here's the direction that we want to go. Now, you as the operational leads, what's the best way to tactically achieve that strategy? And once you start getting input from the people as to what are the best tactics, how can we best achieve this strategy? There becomes an issue of accountability and ownership. Uh, And the more accountability and ownership you can get from people within the organization, the more that they see themselves in that strategy and the more that they see themselves in helping to drive that strategy forward, the easier the execution and implementation is going to be. And I think one of the key factors in having people see themselves in the strategy is setting expectation. So if I know what's expected of me, if I know how success is going to be measured then I've got a much clearer view of what I need to do to make sure that I meet and even exceed those expectations, and I know what I need to do to make sure that I get the results that I'm gonna be
0: measured on. This is really great. So um, several takeaways that actually I'm getting from this. (laughs) Number one, simplicity, that the strategy has to be simple. Uh, Don't take too long, which complements your whole essence of speed. Uh, And then support at all level through alignment and the buying at all levels from the different people. And then finally, you're talking about setting the proper expectation. So not only you meet the expectation, hopefully you exceed them. Absolutely, and that's, that's, a,
1: great, uh, that's a great way to summarize it.
0: So let's, uh, let's move into another area that I know you focus on, which is uh, change management. People change all the time. So there's maybe a false assumption out there that people don't like to change. I'm curious about your feedback. Why is change from your perspective so hard? And how do you suggest organization embrace change? It's amazing how many times
1: we talk about change being a challenge, yet it still is a challenge. <laughs> Even though we know it's a challenge, it's almost something like we can't, we can't seem to get over the hump uh, to, to make it not a challenge. But I, I think that the, the main reason why um, change is an issue for many organizations is they frankly don't spend enough time on it. Uh, I mean, the reality is, if you're implementing a new technology system or you've developed a new strategy, there isn't as much time as is needed developing how are we going to transition the organization from where we are now to where we're going to be. And I'm not even talking about soft skills and I'm not talking about, you know, let's get everybody in a room and sing Kumbaya. I'm I'm talking about very strategic and tactical decisions that have to be made and and identifying who is going to be most impacted by the change. And really effective change management to me comes down to uh, what I'm say is a very simple question and you have to be able to answer what's in it for me, because when people are going to be asked to change or even when you know that you need to change, we all inherently default to the question of how is it going to impact me? What am I going to have to do differently tomorrow from what I'm doing today? What's the impact? What's the benefit? Why should I make this change, Chad? You know, why is it important for me to do it? So it's really important for organizations to look at the different stakeholder groups that are going to be impacted by the change that they're proposing and just ask that simple question. What's in it for them? Because it goes back to what I talked about uh, on your last question around strategic alignment, because it really comes down to that question of accountability. It's that concept of ownership. You know, so I as an employee, if I take ownership In the change, I'm going to be more inclined to change. If I see what the benefits are to myself or the organization, if I take accountability for those uh, benefits, if I understand what's expected of me, then change becomes a whole lot easier. I mean, if you think about why are people most resistant to change, it's really just the fear factor. It's the fear of the unknown. I know what I do today. I know when I show up to work, these are the things that I'm supposed to do. You're telling me that tomorrow I'm gonna have to do something different. I don't know what that means. You're not telling me exactly what I'm gonna be doing tomorrow. You're just telling me I have to do something different and there's this big corporate initiative that we have to embark upon, but I don't know where I fit into that change. So the key for organizations to have effective change management is to be able to say to people, here's where you fit. Here's what's expected of you. Here's, you know, being able to remove that fear of change and that fear of the unknown We'll go a long way in getting people to support the organization. Now, I will say one thing, not to go against what I just said, but I think to, let's be pragmatic here in saying that within an organization, within any organization, you're going to have a certain percentage of people who are not going to support any change. It doesn't matter what. So, I mean, my experience is that I think if you could break people in your organization up into three groups. Uh, You're going to have, and let's start from the positive and then work our way back. A third of your organization are going to be people who embrace change. They love change. They're your change agents. They wake up in the morning saying, you know, I can't wait to get to work because I don't know what's going to happen there. I'm really looking forward to to making change. They're the ones that want to lead the initiatives. So that's, you know, let's say one third of your organization. Another third of your organization, they're open to change. If you can show me why the change is beneficial then yes, I will follow you uh, into that tunnel because you've got the flashlight. But you've gotta convince me why the change is important to me and and how it's gonna benefit me or the organization. And that's your second third. Then your final third are really people who are gonna be resistant to change no matter what. You can bend over backwards, you can give them all the incentive you like, you can give them all the benefits and all the reasons why, and they're still not gonna be open and they're not gonna wanna change. So I think you just have to be realistic in how you approach that as well. But the good news is it means that basically two-thirds of your organization is gonna be open to the change. And that one-third that isn't is generally gonna get dragged along because the two-thirds is open to the change and is willing to make the change,
0: forcing the other third of the organization to go with them. Let's look at some global organization. And from your perspective, what is the one, two, or three things that they do best Uh, to become successful in their areas of expertise? There's a couple of key things that the best organizations do.
1: I think first and foremost, they're constantly innovating. And the way I define innovating is, again, doesn't have to be disruptive innovation. Constantly innovating just means to me they're pursuing operational excellence. They're looking at ways that they can improve the way that they operate. And, And they don't just look at, certain areas they don't just look at sales and they don't just look at marketing and they don't just look at operations they're looking at all areas of the company and asking the question how can we improve the way we do things so that's the first thing is I think they recognize that they need to constantly be innovating I think the second key thing they do which really in my view differentiates the best from the rest is they do the first thing which I said they're looking to constantly innovate but they're able to find opportunities and what I call these performance boosts. They're able to find performance boosts in areas that most organizations don't normally even look. And I think that that's the real opportunities where you're able to leverage and exploit what I'll call gaps in your processes, gaps in your organization. So if you think about how a process or an organization gets integrated together, most organizations work in many different silos. The best organizations not only break down those silos, but they figure out ways that they can actually exploit the the gaps in between their different departments. And how can they integrate those gaps better? And how can they actually leverage them and create these performance boosts that I talked about a couple of minutes ago? So I think, you know, again, to go back, they're constantly innovating. They're looking for performance boosts in areas that most organizations don't normally look obvious one is that they're always looking to attract and retain the best people. But I think the thing that they do differently is they don't just look to attract top people when they've got a a job that's open. They're constantly on, and I'll use the word prowl, they're constantly on the prowl for the best people. And even if they don't have an opening for those people, they'll find a place for them. Because their philosophy is, this is a great person and no matter what, I cannot let this person go. I've got to find a place in my company for this person because this person is the right person for my organization. And I don't exactly know what they're going to do, but I know they're going to do great things here. So I may even create a position for them specifically because they're that good and I know I need them that much. So it isn't just about attracting the best people. It's, it's about recruiting the best people and it's about looking for them constantly to say, I know that they're out there. I've just got to give myself as many opportunities as
0: possible to find them and then integrate them into my organization. Why is innovation and reinvention from your perspective, Andrew, critical for your survival as an organization?
1: Well, I think the first thing I'll do is I might separate those two thoughts because I don't think innovation and reinvention are the same thing. I think reinvention can be an extreme of innovation. So if you wanna call reinvention would be like disruption. So take the example of let's say IBM, when, uh, when Sam Palmisano took over from Lou Gerstner in the early 2000s, IBM went through a reinvention. Under Gerstner, IBM was in cost-cutting mode. I mean, they had to work on efficiency, productivity, and cost-cutting. They were too big and too slow to do anything. So when Sam Palmisano took over, he had a different mandate because they had done the cost-cutting. They, were, they had become a lean organization. The difference was, under Palmisano's leadership, he realized that they needed to become a services company. So they really went through a reinvention. I mean, it wasn't, you know, innovation to me would have been they made their personal computing business better. They made better computers. They made, you know, other things like that. Reinvention is they sold the personal computers division to Lenovo in 2005. They got out of it completely. And then they went out and bought a consulting company. So go figure that a company that was synonymous with computers not only got rid of their computers business, but then went out and got a consulting business that had nothing to do with technology. So to me, that's a reinvention, but whether you use either example, which is the example of we made our computers better versus the reinvention of we sold the computers and bought a consulting business, both of those are innovation, right? It's just where on the spectrum you are around innovation. So I think, as I mentioned earlier in the interview, it is really important for organizations to think about innovation in a different way. It doesn't have to be a disruptive innovation. Incremental improvements are just as much an innovation as something that's game changing to an industry. If you're not innovating, then you know let's think of what's the opposite of innovation. It's you know I don't want to say de innovation, but you know if you're not thriving, you're surviving. if you're not growing, you're shrinking. Uh, so really, if you're not innovating. You're going in the opposite direction of innovating because if everyone else around you is innovating you're just even if you're not doing anything you're getting left behind and i think there's no shortage of examples and i, I can throw a few company names out there not to pick on anybody but certainly you know hp research in motion blockbuster uh, a few different organizations that have shown us that if you're not innovating constantly and if you just sort of get to a certain success plateau and stay there you're not going to be successful for very long. Two of those organizations, if not all three, have significantly reduced market share. And frankly, I'm not sure how long we're going to be reading about it, other than these were the darlings of, of five years ago. I think it's really important for organizations to understand that even if it's incremental innovation and incremental improvement,
0: if you're not doing that, then odds are you're not going to be successful for very long. Andrew, I only have one question left. but before that. What are some of the best ways to contact you when uh, they want to do so? Well, the easiest way to contact me is uh, they can give me a
1: call. Uh, my number is 416-480-1336. They can also reach me by email, andrew at acmconsulting.ca, or invite everybody to go visit my website at www.acmconsulting.ca. Uh, there's tons of, of free resources there, articles, podcasts, teleconferences, videos, all the things that you would like on operational excellence. Yes, I encourage everybody to go visit
0: and, and do some reading and listening. So last question here. Oftentimes, I find many organizations either try to do it in-house or find a way to shortcut the system. Why you and why not try to do it in-house with internal resources? And then what is the key passion that you bring to the table that helps propel your clients? Sure.
1: Uh, that's a great question. So I'll, I'll take it in two pieces and I may need you to remind me about the second question in a minute when I wax poetic about the first. Um, the important reason why, and I'm not going to say organizations shouldn't try it on the, on their own, but I think the reason that most organizations aren't successful when they do try it on their own is a couple of things. I think the first is they don't go all in to use the, you know, the poker analogy You know, often project teams or people that are working on the project have day jobs, so to speak. So they're getting pulled in and they're working on this as sort of a second initiative that's not part of their day job. Uh, So they end up either working ridiculously long hours or it ends up impacting the reason that they were hired in the first place. Most organizations don't have, let's call them internal change management experts. So any initiative that gets worked on has a huge change management component to it. And if you haven't worked in that environment before and haven't successfully implemented the change, it becomes very difficult. It adds to the difficulty when you've got somebody who's working with their peers trying to influence the change. So that becomes a challenge as well, because you're working with people that you've worked with on an ongoing basis, and you're trying to show them the benefit of the change. You're trying to answer that question, what's in it for them. And that's always a challenge because, uh, to be frank, Chad, a lot of my work with clients, at least initially, is validation of their ideas. A lot of the stuff, it's not that I'm not bringing a lot of value to them. It's that there is a lot of value in validating what their ideas are. But you can't do that when you're sort of in the forest trying to look through the trees. So there is that value of that outside perspective, those extra set of eyes, that person that hasn't worked in the organization and doesn't live and breathe the organization. So that outside perspective of somebody that says, well, you know what, I've seen this in many different organizations in many different industries. So there's a value in bringing that perspective from somebody that's seen it in many different places, lived it in many different places, and seen opportunities and challenges and even some of the pitfalls for what works and what doesn't work. So what that allows an organization to do by bringing up that outside perspective is that you're able to let's call it flatten the learning curve. You've got somebody who's got the expertise and seen it done in many different ways and is able to accelerate the process for you. So maybe instead of doing it internally and it taking six months, you may be able to look at somebody can help you externally and do it in two months because they know exactly what to avoid and exactly what to focus on. And you've got dedicated resource providing that implementation support. So, I mean, when you get to the question of, you know, what are the biggest challenges? The other thing I do want to mention is the work with my clients doesn't often replace the work that's being done by internal teams. It actually supplements the work that's being done by internal teams. Clients shouldn't become reliant on outside resources, but they should certainly use them to, like I said, accelerate timelines and make sure that they avoid the pitfalls and that they can be successful and get results much more quickly. So so I think that's an important misconception or myth that people have with consultants is my view of a great consultant isn't somebody that replaces the work that's being done by the client it's somebody who supplements and complements that work so that the results can be achieved quicker and more successfully
0: so for those of you listening if one of the key challenges for you or that you're facing is how to dramatically accelerate the success of your organization and leverage things such as we talked about today, whether it's operational excellence, change management, or innovation, obviously I encourage you to reach out to Andrew Miller. Andrew, thank you for this feedback. Thank you for the great wisdom and hope to see you soon. Thank you, Chad. It was my pleasure and it was a great discussion. Thank you.